Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 429 of the podcast for October 27th, 2021. Our guest today is John Chacon. You'll learn more about him in a minute. Our theme today is continuous improvement and the dangers of paying people to think. So we're going to have a great conversation about that. For show notes, links, and more, you can go to leanblog.org slash 429. As always, thanks for listening. If you like the episode, please share it with a colleague, share it on social media. would really appreciate it. Now, here's the episode. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Again, our guest today is John Chacon. He is joining us from Bakersfield, California. He is a director of construction excellence for an industrial construction company. He describes himself as, and I like, I like this framing, a lean student, a TPS student. He's a lean Six Sigma master black belt, so he's more than a student, but I like emphasizing the, the lifelong student idea. Uh, Kaizen coach, Kata coach, developer of leaders, and uh, a board advisor to CII. That's Continuous Improvement International. Is that correct, John? Uh, it's a uh, construction institute. Okay, I should have. Yes. It's my mistake. I should have asked that up front. Uh, we had a, a previous guest um, talking about that. So, uh, but uh, John does a lot of things. He has a, a, a great background, and we're going to learn more about that today. So, John, thank you again for for being here with us. Yeah, thank you, Mark. Appreciate you having me. So just to kind of tee things up uh, of, of how this episode came to be, I had posted um, something on LinkedIn where I got a question uh, from somebody asking about the idea of continuous improvement in healthcare and this assumption or this question of like, well, we've got to incentivize people. And, and, and she asked, what does Kaizen say, quote unquote? I'm like, oh, uh, there's, there's what do people say? You know, maybe there's guidance from classic Kaizen um, literature and and methodology. And, and John replied, I'm going to just read it. And then we're going to hear more of John's thoughts on this. He said, he commented, if you've read this blog post and are still thinking about incentivizing folks for ideas, stop, give me a call, and I'll tell you some stories about paying your folks to think. So we're going to get some of those stories today, right, John? Yeah, yeah, they will, they will come out. It's good stuff. Um, so before we get into all of that, you know, I do like to ask guests here, um, you know, their, their continuous improvement origin story, like how did you, how and where did you get introduced to lean or Six Sigma or related methodologies? What, what was your story? Sure. Yeah. My story starts back in uh, about 2005 timeframe. I was in the, in the Marine Corps and they were rolling out a, a program that was supposed to help us do our jobs better. And, you know, as a early 20s Marine, you know, I didn't need any of that. We, we were doing fine on our own. So I didn't much care for the, the concept or even the, the suggestion of it. I, I didn't like it. I thought it was, you know, don't come and tell us what to do. We, we know our job. And, you know, that's at a, at a, a lot of assumptions there at, at that age. And uh, then I was deployed over to Japan. And, you know, I thought I got away from it. I thought that was just something here in the States that was going on. And when I got to Japan, I, I started getting into more of 
the training aspect and had some Japanese instructors that really painted a different picture of, of what this whole effort was. Uh, and as you can imagine in the military, you know, we're, we're not talking a whole lot about, you know, cultivating a culture of, of, of uh, thinking and challenging things. It's do as you're told. And that's really it. There's not a lot of conversation when it comes to the military uh, and, and that there, but uh, it, I continued on with the, the education after uh, Japan back into the States. And then uh, it came time for my end of service. Uh, one of the things that, that I was going for was, you know, I wanted to probably be a quality guy, an inspector or something or other. And well, uh, the executive officer, uh, as I was exiting the Marine Corps said, Hey, this whole lean stuff, you should, you should put that on your resume, that there's something to this. And so I went ahead and put it, and that was the first bite I got uh, coming out of the, the military was with an industrial company called TIC. Uh, and I was hired on shortly after and, and uh, started to, to grow my, my understanding of what lean is, and uh, especially in the civilian world compared to the military. It's very, very different. And the approaches are different, uh, and you, you have to understand the cultures that you're walking into and the audience that you're working with. So after working at TIC in, in a Kiwit for uh, I think about six years or so, I had an opportunity to go to a company called Era Energy. They're, they're a sub of uh, Shell and ExxonMobil. Uh, now, Era Energy is a different ballgame. This is a... I would call it a little closer to the world class when it comes to continuous improvement. Uh, this, this place here was an environment where the work was to improve the work. And we had leaders just challenging that and, and leveraging their folks and developing them. And so that really did expand, you know, my understanding of what this is, what this is about and how, how we apply uh, spent some time at Air Energy, and I got another opportunity at, at Black and Beach, and that's where you know I'm currently at now. Um, and that's just been my journey. It's it's really been one of uh, of almost a journey of mistakes and learning, and that's really what it's what it's been. You know, I, I tell all of the my students that I get an opportunity to work with, I've screwed up everything when it comes to continuous improvement. So. It's don't don't be afraid of that, and we, we just have to keep an open mind to learning, and, and that's really been the, the 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 journey up to this point. Well, the whole theme of learning from mistakes is is something we talk about a lot on this podcast. I'm going to do just blatant plug for my other podcast series, my favorite mistake. You know, I call that a lean adjacent yeah. podcast because we all make mistakes and. Hopefully we learn from them. So I don't know if, if, if there's a uh, quote unquote favorite mistake that comes to mind, maybe we can have a conversation about that sometime, John, on the other. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but just to go back and uh, a couple of follow up questions on, let's say, first off, your time in uh, active duty in the Marine Corps. What I hear you saying is that this this suggestion that things could be better was a little bit off putting or maybe even insulting. Like I run across this in healthcare where there's, there's, you know, um, maybe from different, a different basis for it, but pride, 
around the idea of like, look, look, our hospital is highly rated. There's billboards everywhere saying how great we are. What do you mean we're harming patients? Like they find that insulting or the idea that mm-hmm. they, that um, maybe patients don't have to wait as long or that there'll be excuses or, you know, that could also be sort of off-putting. And, you know, the Marine Corps, for good reason, has a reputation for, for excellence. I was wondering if you could just sort of elaborate a little bit more on that idea, or have you run across that in, uh, in other companies of people saying, well, hmm, I don't like being told things could be better. Yeah, yeah. In the Marine Corps specifically, the, you know, I, I own the, the, the feeling of I'm a little insulted. You know, we are, we are Marines. We are taught that we are the best. That is it. And by the way, we kind of have two wars going on. You know, and we're doing we're doing all right. Uh, so uh, we don't need a bunch of folks that don't know anything about this stuff to come in and, and tell us about this. And you know, that was uh, a lot of my own mindset at the time. And and really, the if I could go back and, and really think about it, if if I could go back to the military and, and teach it now, uh, I think a lot of the things that we missed oftentimes is really talking about leveraging the talent that we have and getting those ideas and becoming more efficient and more effective and allowing the Marines that are working the process to have that skin in the game and to feel that appreciation that their thoughts count. And it wasn't, it wasn't like that. It was a little bit more as you would imagine military style. We see this, we're going to do this and that's it. We don't, we don't much care about your, your feedback. Um, there's not a very good feedback loop there. How much of, you know, um, one challenge I face again, just looking for parallels here, when I come in to a healthcare organization, if I'm talking to a group of nurses, they, they rightfully, I mean, they would be correct. They'd say, well, this guy, he's not a nurse. What does he know about our work? What does he have to teach us? Like if you were to go back and teach Marines, they might say, okay, well, John's one of us. He's been in our shoes as opposed to being more of, let's say, well, we've got a bureaucrat or a pencil pusher coming in. Like I could see where there would be natural resistance to that, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, you're, I was trying to be nice about it, but the, <laughs> the term we were using is like, we need a bunch of nerds coming in here and telling us how to do our work. <laughs> You know, and, and that was the, yeah. the phrasing, you know, back then. And and that's really that's really it. I, I often reflect on those times and say, man, we probably could have did a lot more if we would have gotten the engagements, you know, at a at an earlier time. You know, I, I hope since then that they've progressed from those early days and, and, and they're still working the process. One other thing I uh, wanted to ask, about, you talked about your time being deployed in Japan and how the trainers there painted a, pic, a different picture. What were some of the key differences either in what they were teaching or how they went about it? The, uh, I, I initially chalked this up to uh, cultural differences between the Japanese and, and American culture. Uh, the the Japanese instructors and, and Japanese nationals, there was a level of 
a, a different level of respect, a, a, a different common denominator of respect within the community. Uh, even when we would have protesters outside of the military gates that, you know, they no longer wanted to base in, in Japan where we were, uh, the most, the nicest and most respectful protests I have ever seen. Not loud, <laughs> not, you know, they were just there to make their voices heard and, and to be, uh, and then their, their thoughts to be considered. And so that was very much a, a, a difference. That was my first observation. Th th these cultures are, are different here. Um, so that, that's being one piece of it. But the instructors also were really, were really trying to get to the point of start thinking. Start thinking and not just doing. Start thinking more. And if we would get to an initial thought, you know, or our first, uh, our first idea, they would continue to poke. You know, uh, and, and, you know, maybe it was their, uh, their undercover way of, of providing 5Y or, or another way of, of coaching or, or getting us to think. But that's really what it was, was thinking beyond that first set of assumptions or presumptions uh, that, that you would develop, you know, after a question. Uh, and, and that's where, I, you know, I saw some really big differences there. And I think that's where I became... I went from being an opposer to like, oh, there's, there's something, there's something to this mm. here. And then further progressing to now somebody who is, or, you know, advocating for it and helping others who really came, Absolutely. came along. Right. Um, so before we talk about the idea of incentives and the need or non need or dysfunctions that come with it, you know, how do you define Kaizen? Yeah, so when it comes to Kaizen, I, I think it, it almost seems to be we have our own filters of, of how we apply, you know, just the thought of, of continuous improvement or, or, or good and, and better. Uh, we're, we're often thinking about it in a way that's purely process-based. And the way that I've I've you know, where I'm currently at in, in my journey or my understanding is that continuous improvement is not only of the process, it's it's also of the people, it's of our, uh, the, the way that we understand successful outcomes, it, it's the way that we strategize, it's, it's our leadership behaviors. And so it's not just continuous improvement of a process, it's continuous improvement of everything. You know, uh, the, you know, the entire piece of humanity that you touched is, is subject to this continuous improvement. So that's, that's really where I'm at right now uh, in, in my understanding. Mm -hmm. And I, I like that phrase you used earlier um, at a, a company you worked for along your way. The work was to improve the work. Yes. And that's not, Always true in a lot of organizations where, you know, the, the, the mindset is more of um, you know, come in and do it the way you were taught or like, and this happens in healthcare too. People just do it the way they do it. Like you see variation in the process and somebody might say, well, doing it this way, uh, that works for me. And like, well, there's a lot you could dig into and have a discussion there. So there's that question of 
you know, improving meaning having more of a standard or improving the standard? Um, I mean, you know, what, what do you do now to try to help create that culture where people do feel comfortable of saying, well, the, there, there is the work, there's building things, there's planning for building, but then the work also being to improve the work. How, how do you try to help foster that? You know, there, we have a lot of that within construction and we, we hire craftsmen and tradesmen that, that know how to do the work. And a lot of times just let them do their thing. You know, as long as they're safe and they're providing a quality product, typically that's that's the culture I've run into is just let them do their thing. They they know what they're doing. And really what we what we have to do is approach it in a way that, that's more or more wonderment and, and asking questions uh, to a particular craftsman or professional. Because at the end of the day, they are experts. They're excellent experts, and and they, um, and oftentimes they aren't getting asked a lot about their opinion and their thoughts on things. And so you'll get a wealth of knowledge about how things are done. Uh, and in a lot of times, we can come closer to a standard uh, than we previously were at a particular time. Uh, and, and we're still working towards that, but there, there still is quite a bit of variation. But if, if I were to say the way that we approach it, it really does have to be out of curiosity and, and wonderment and see if we can get them to, um, to engage. Really, engagement is going to be the key to start off. That, that word uh, wonderment is a, a word I, I don't hear very often. I think that is a very apt word. I hope it's a real word because I don't know if it's right in my head. Yeah. I think it is, but, um, you know, um, uh, yeah, it, I mean, it is a word. It's a, a quick Google dictionary says a state of odd admiration or respect. So that, yeah, I, I wouldn't have come up with that. The, the word sounded right. And, and I think, yeah, the dictionary is saying, yeah, I think that is an apt word because, uh, it's it's interesting to see these parallels where, you know, John, what you're describing also reminds me of healthcare. You've got highly skilled, highly educated, um, trained craftspeople, craftsmen, craftswomen. I don't know, craftswomen might not be a word, but craftspeople. Um, yes. they, they, they are experts and they, they you know, I, I, I don't ever want to be that nerd who's trying to tell them how to practice medicine. That would be inappropriate. Um, I think sometimes, you know, they feel like uh, healthcare providers feel like administration um, may be trying to do that. The insurance companies may be trying to tell them how to practice medicine. And yeah, I've, I've, I've just seen so many cases where people at first they're a little confused or like, well, wait, well, you're, you, you're asking for my opinion. Because sometimes that's not happening, and they might think, "Wait a minute, this like there, there might be a, a, a suspicion yeah. from that." But I think then once people get comfortable with it, they do appreciate being asked their their opinion and being involved in improvement, not just being told, "You know, you need to be better" in a, in a way that um, sounds insulting, but a way that's engaging because it, it it can come from a place of respect. Yeah, and then that's where. It, it you can apply wonderment, but it has to be genuine wonderment, 
right? You, you can't go in there and be inquisitive with, with, you know, some loaded ideas afterward because they're going to see right through it. If not on the first interaction, on the second or third or, or you know, following interactions. And so it has to be, it has to be genuine uh, and not really just so that you can get to the next point to where you want to get to. It needs to be the, the collaborative, collaborative, collaborative uh, alignment that has to happen there. Yeah, I, I think that's important to emphasize. People can smell right away. If it's not genuine, if it's if it's manipulative and, you know, I, 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 I try to call time out when I hear people use a phrase like uh, we want people to feel like they're respected. I'm like, well, maybe they, they, they should be respected. <laughs> or I think the phrase that, that grates on me more is we want people to feel like they had input. That's when I will really mm-hmm. call hard time out. It's not it's not a feeling like we don't want them to feel like they had input and then have that input be just cast aside. Like, yeah. They have input. It's a fact. It's not a feeling. But. Yeah, absolutely. So back to the question that was posed to me. You know, I'll just read it. Here's how it was sent to me. What does Kaizen suggest about how to incentivize people to submit ideas? So let, let me tweak it. I'll just ask, what does John suggest from your experience about how to incentivize people to submit ideas, or there's an assumption in the question. Let me ask it differently. What does John suggest about the general idea of, do we need to incentivize people this way? If folks want to incentivize, you know, monetarily or prizes or anything, I understand, I understand the feeling of trying to, to get something sparked and, and maybe you know, a few ideas that are, that'll get people thinking and, you know, what's, what's a, you know, five, 10, 20 bucks to, to offer there. Uh, one of the things that, that is different. And in my, my experience with construction is we are not there for long. We're there to put something up and then we're on to the next. And, and it may not be with the same group. It may be with groups for folks or from other places, other companies. And so you're, you have to es- quickly establish a culture of that improvement. Now, if you really want to get the, your, your folks and your company to start thinking, start thinking as a practice, as, as a deliberate practice, Sometimes the behavior that we're driving with those incentives is you give me idea, I give you money, I give you prize, and, and that's where we stay. And once, you know, the, the, especially with the jobs I've been at, the money runs out. And so we've already established that behavior or that transactional relationship of idea for money. And once the money runs out, and, and if it doesn't for you, I mean, great, that's, that's, uh, that's awesome. But if it does, there you will see an almost an immediate response to, no, you're not getting my idea because you're not giving me my reward. And so that behavior gets established quickly and, and you don't really want to, to do that at all. Uh, another piece of the incentivizing things is people get weird when it comes to money or prizes and you award one person or one group 
for for an improvement or an idea that led to an improvement and you'll immediately have another group that says hey that was an idea that's a that's an old school best practice and actually i made that up you know and in, in, you know in the 80s and so now you you think to yourself okay so who who do i reward do i reward both do you, you know how, how does this really work and and now we're creating a little bit of animosity amongst groups that may have had an idea that was just quicker to document it or submit it via an idea system. There are, there are all sorts of ways that, you know, incentives create weirdness and dysfunction. You know, my, my answer to that question that came in was, you know, I, I, I challenged the assumption that was baked into the question that said, well, how do we incentivize them? Like there's that question of, do we need to? I mean, when you replace what I think is a strong intrinsic motivation with extrinsic motivation, incentives, like you described, we condition people. And then once the extrinsic is gone, they don't default back to intrinsic motivation. Maybe there's been this incentive, this, this expectation that's been set. You know, you, you raise another really good point of, you know, there, there are different degrees of, you know, the fairness perception. Like one, one, one problem with the classic suggestion box system. And like when I started my career at General Motors as an engineer, there were even times where I could submit a suggestion. And a lot of it, it was so individual based. I submitted a suggestion. Well, what happens to teamwork? <laughs> or like if a group of people talked about an idea and then one person submits it and gets the reward that that creates way, you know, that, that, that just creates so many problems. And now people aren't going to collaborate and share with each other. And like one, one thing I've seen that's least dysfunctional, like, you know, my co-op, my co-authors hospital uh, where Joe Schwartz works in Indiana, like they do. It's more recognition than rewards. Like it's right. it's a couple of bucks. It's some points. It's a gift card but they will share that freely, right? So their Kaizen submission process, whether it's one people or three people or 10 people who talked about it, who collaborated with, uh, on it, they all get the reward. They're trying to eliminate that, that infighting that, that would occur when we give, let's say, $1,000 to, to one person and, and that's not shared with their team. Like, why, why, why would you do that? Yeah, absolutely. It's a... It's, uh... You know, really, if, if you, you know, if you do go down that road of, of incentivizing, really, really think about those behaviors you're going to drive. And I, I love that, you know, that idea of, you know, if we do give a reward, it's going to be team-based and shared, you know, and that's a way to help drive that collaboration that we're looking for, you know, a lot, lot better than, than what you're talking about, that individual uh, idea system. Try to tap into really understanding the, the group or, or a particular person that we're working with because everyone's going to have their own 
you know, background and insights, it's, it's going to motivate them. You're going to have some folks that are going to be motivated by probably a, maybe an end of job bonus. You know, if we increase productivity, we're going to be open to a bonus. And so, you know, another way of incentivizing, but there's the majority of folks that, that I get a chance to work with and talk to just get excited about being able to do it better. And, and in construction, the amount of waiting that happens is, is uh, it's just overwhelming. And there's a lot of folks that they don't want their day to drag on. Let's get busy. Let's get to work. If I can be engaged in work, you know, 90, 95% of the day, that's a huge win. And I'm not going to have to have a day that's dragging on, you know, two hours of waiting for material or waiting for a request for information and, you know, people's days drag on like that. So the majority of the folks get excited just about, just to make things a little bit better and easier for themselves there. Yeah, you bring up that, that's a really interesting point. The, the idea, people do like to feel productive. They do like to feel useful. I mean, I think there, there would be this bias or this bad perception of like, yeah, they, oh, they love sit around. They, they love sitting around doing nothing. They're drinking coffee. They're talking about the playoff game that's coming up. And, and, and like you said, sometimes though, the day drags on. Like I think back to one of my Toyota mentors who would talk about like getting into a state of flow. Like you're not working too fast, but you're working and it's with a purpose and it's a good, at a good pace. And that's when the hours fly by. Yeah, you're in that zone. Um, and when, when people challenge like, well, oh, it must be awful doing repetitive work all day. And the, the, the one Toyota person I'm thinking would say, well, no, you're, you're in that zone. That's an, that's an enjoyable place to be. Yeah, that's we'll, we'll get that all of the time in construction. It's like, well, this this isn't this isn't manufacturing. This isn't Toyota. It's, you know, we don't have the the uh, the luxury of repetitive work. And we do. It, it just looks different. You know, it's you know, we will well today. We will well tomorrow. We will, you know, bolt up structural steel today, tomorrow, so on and so forth. You know, we go to the tool room on a daily basis. And so it's just getting people to look at the repetitiveness in, in a different way is going to be key there for that. Uh, it, it's, it's an interesting dynamic because I, I go back, I, I go a little soft with, with the folks because the, the guys that are at the construction sites that are working 10 to 12 hours a day, five to seven days a week, depending on the contract and the schedule. Typically they're away from their families. We're in the middle of nowhere. You, you'll have folks that aren't seeing their kids or their wives or their, their loved ones for months on end. And there's the catch 22 of, we did, a, we did a good enough job that you're gonna be able to roll off to another job somewhere else. And so income will continue. But that also means that you have another extended period of time away from, from those folks and away from normal. And I'll tell you right now, living out of a hotel months on end, is it, it does something to the, to the soul there. <laughs> and it's, it's one of those things that you also have to consider is that that's a big sacrifice. And with that sacrifice, let's make it the most uh, uh, productive environments, the, the, the most rewarding 
environment that we can for, for the folks doing the work because the, the, that's a, it's a small group cut from a different cloth that are, that are going to do this work and take that sacrifice on. Mm-hmm. There, there, there's one other parallel I can't help but notice where, you know, in healthcare, when we talk about standardizing how work is being done, how care is being provided, uh, people will, will, will say, well, every patient is unique as a reason to not standardize. And uh, to me, I would say, well, that, that's a reason to be careful about standardization and what does that really mean, where I could see somebody saying, well, every building is unique. But within that, you, you pointed to certain skills, welding and, and putting up a wall. Like there, there, are certain, there are certain tasks that can be standardized within the, the context of doing a unique job, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's each job will tell you this is a different job. This, this is, you know, this is a special session. Every, it's, you know, for some reason, every job's the special job. And so, really getting us to the point to where we understand what the repetition looks like is going to be key because one day you're going to have a, a guy welding at heights, you know, hundred feet in the air. And then the next day he may be on his back in the dirt, you know, and, and being able to get materials where he needs to have it, making sure that, that uh, his paperwork and safety uh, checks are, are in place. A lot of those repetitive pieces are, are what we try to get folks to focus in on. And that's the standard that we're talking about. It's a lot of times it's not about them burning rod or, or you know, doing whatever it is to install the, the unit of measure that they're installing it's really getting them to standardize everything up to that point <laughs> is really what we, we try to get them to do. And that, that's where we see a lot of the benefit there. One other thing I wanted to ask you, you know, your, your thoughts and experiences, uh, you know, Kaizen as a, a word and a mindset and a methodology has been around for a long time. Newer introduction, maybe 10 years, a little more than 10 years ago, is the word kata. In the, in the context of Toyota Kata, what Mike Rother uh, has brought to the world with his book and people have really embraced and, and, and run with. What, what do you see in, in terms of connections, differences, you know, using those, those two different words, Kaizen, Kata? I, I really really love and, and, and like the, the, the kata practice and, and what it instills. You know, we, you know, I'll speak for myself. We took the word Kaizen and we tried to install it into things that we were already doing, behaviors and practices and habits we already had. And, you know, I always got a mixed bag of, of, of outputs just on, on how we apply things. And with, with Mike's work that he's he's put out there, he's really brought in a lot of the habits and, and, and you know, sometimes I call them mechanisms or habits that they get put in place to help cultivate that Kaizen that's that's happening. And and so when we do that, we're able to, to get that deliberate practice of thinking. And not only the folks that are the uh, 
uh, that, that are practicing the improvement kata side, but the coaching kata side for leadership. Now, when we think about leaders, especially in, in our industry or my industry of construction, if we take a look at what the, the, the habits are, what we do habitually, it's a lot of meetings, client meetings, department meetings, 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 meetings. And how do we get ourselves closer to that coaching kata to where we're getting ourselves uh, used to a habit of going out and interacting, going to, going to Gemba and interacting with the folks doing the work and challenge them to think and be inquisitive and, and ask those questions. To me, it, it's really taking that Kaizen component and, and giving it the soil and water and the sun that it needs for it to take place. And, and that's really what I see there. And I, I really, really appreciate that work. And Mike himself is, is super helpful. He always answers questions. He, he's always there takes the time to do that. He never blows you off or, or asks for anything. And that's a, that's a level of respect and sharing uh, of a culture that, you know, that I'd like to continue to expand. So I'm really, really appreciative of, of that, that kata practice. Mm-hmm. And as useful as these approaches are, I mean, one thing that often comes up for discussion is, Using the Japanese words versus just trying to talk about it in plain English. I mean, have you what what have you found? I mean, it's hard to generalize sometimes. It could depend on the the company or the team, what have you. Do they embrace terms like that, or do you try to use broader terms like improvement routine? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's to the audience that's that we're you know you're going to have to make your adjustments there. I had to get out of the thoughts. My, my initial thoughts were, I want to stick as close to TPS as possible. I, I want to stay there and, and use some of the terms, the words, the, the ideas from there. And, you know, I got everything from, well, why didn't you just say improvement? You know, that's, that's better. And I've gotten some extreme ones to, why are we saying that? We won the war. You know, it's <laughs> like, okay, it's like, oh, we get some pretty extreme thoughts there. And, and meeting people where they're at. A lot of people will want to know the origin of, of Kaizen. They'll want to know uh, why, you know, we call a fishbone diagram, an Ishikawa diagram, you know, but, you know and they, they want to know those, those certain details. And there's just certain, there's people that are, that also will receive it as just, just translate it for me, you know, spare me, spare me the, the lesson and being able to meet those folks there. And I hopefully we'll create that interest to where, you know, we can go back into some of the history. I, I love the history portion as well. Um, being able to share that, but you really have to meet folks where they are in that. And they're all going to have their, their own filters and perceptions of it. And uh, that's where you as a practitioner or we as practitioners have to make our adjustments and, and, and get them not get them away from the word and get them into the practice. It's really where we got, we got to navigate. Yeah. Well, one other thing I wanted to ask you about, you know, talk about different audiences and, um, that can include different countries. So, you know, we're talking about a little bit about Japanese words, your time being deployed in Japan and, and some differences and your um, 
later career here, you've worked in other countries. Can you, can you tell us about that? Are there any differences in how the message around lean or improvement gets delivered, how it's practiced? Absolutely. You know, I've, I've had a chance to, to teach and, and coach in Thailand, China, and India. And the, the cultures are impressive and you can almost, I can almost see, say, oh, wow, I, I might be able to accelerate, you know, a, a, a Kaizen culture in, in a particular country or a particular culture. And, and that's really going back to understanding that audience. You, you go to, to India. Uh, I, I love India. I love Indian people. After our, our instruction, they lined, they, everybody in the class lined up and gave hugs. It, it was, you know, it was, it was awesome. You know, uh, the, the components of respect for people really, really uh, uh, was, was driven home in India and in, in Thailand. Because Thailand, uh, the way it was explained to me, that there's, we're not going to argue. You know, we need to come to a peaceful alignment or resolution, and there's not going to be any kind of pushing ideas on you. And so that was was great to to see there with with India, the the culture there, Thailand, the the need for collaboration in Thailand, and then in, in China, it, you know, the the students for the first couple of days were standoffish; that they really held back. And after we got them going, I mean, the, the rooms were roaring with, with conversation and challenges of how we, we think about things and uh, had an opportunity to take the word Kaizen and bring up the old kanji. And then the, the Chinese students were able to look at it and break it down historically. And then we also had a, a, a South Korean a national be able to say, well, that right there also translates in, in Korean, and, and so having those conversations of what they're really, what we're what we're really trying to get to, has has been excellent and life changing experiences. Uh, uh, just overall traveling to those countries, that that, that was a that was a godsend there, being able to to have that opportunity. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to travel to India for work. You know, I spent a week in China visiting some hospitals and giving some talks. That's a limited perspective. I, I did spend um, maybe a total of four, three or three three weeks with a hospital in Bangkok. So that was a deeper opportunity mm-hmm. to really yeah. be you know, more continually uh, working with people, um, sometimes through a translator, sometimes not. But um, you know, they say, you know, Thailand is the land of smiles, mm-hmm. sort of a nickname, and, and, and they embrace that as part of their, their culture. People really do smile a lot. And I think of organizations, even in the U.S., where Kaizen is really part of the culture. Yeah. That brings a lot of smiles, you know, even yeah. if it's a workplace where people might not be smiling a lot. Like there's, there's something for that joy that comes from being listened to, being engaged, being able to help improve things. I think some of that is a pretty universal need that people have. Absolutely. At the end of the day, 
You know, we're all people and we, I don't know if it's the purpose thing. We would all want purpose and being able to tap into that, but there's also, we all want to, to almost own what we are doing as well. This, this isn't, this isn't yours. And I'm just trading you time or money for my time and my skill. This is something that, that is also mine. These, you know, in, in healthcare, this is also my patient you know, that I'm having that relationship with. And in construction, you're going to have folks that are, that that structure is also mine. You know, I, I will be able to get to drive by this for decades on end and, and you know, a piece of me is there. So uh, there's there's that piece that, that we, I, I think we have to tap into and, and, and that's really where you start seeing some magic happen. Well, that, that's, yeah, that would be, I think, an amazing sense of accomplishment, like you said, to, to, uh, to see something that you contributed to that's so lasting in such a visible physical way. Yeah. And, and on, on, on another hand, I'm envious of the, the folks in, in healthcare, because you're, you know, you're working with a person, you know, you're, you're in improving the experience for a person. So how incredibly rewarding that would be as, as well. It's something that's always, you know, I, I've always uh, appreciated about the, the healthcare efforts. Yeah. And, and that's one thing that's um, a huge advantage when doing this work in healthcare, the, the sense of purpose, the intrinsic motivation uh, is so strong. It, it's not just a job for, for yeah. most people. So yeah. to tap into that and to try to find alignment, around that is, um, is powerful. So one other thing I wanted to ask you, John, before we wrap up, you know, having you having spent, you know, five years active duty in the Marine Corps, um, you know, it's a very different experience. I I've not had that experience. Um, so one thing that was interesting when, when you and I had talked previously, you, you brought up this idea where there was a parallel between, um, being in the Marine Corps and practicing, continuous improvement like what you do versus the way you are so if you could sort of elaborate on on that thought for us yeah so before going into the marine corps you know just just after 9-11 you'd always see the commercials right the marine corps commercials uh first to fight you know simplify uh the changes forever a lot of those those little terms there that you would see and you think that's all marketing and it's one of those things that I, I get to be able to explain to to veterans of, of any branch that you know especially for the Marines you, you you don't join the Marines you become a marine and and that is now a, a layer that's imprinted on you for forever and ever. Uh, and, and what we really need to, to draw from that and get that understanding of becoming a Marine is that and the relationship to lean or Kaizen or continuous improvement or what, or, or what have you. It's not about doing the stuff that, that, that uh, you know, that, that call, you know, that, that we, easily identify those tangible items it's about becoming that that lean 
practitioner, that the way that you see things, the way that you that you observe them. And, and so there is that correlation that, you know, when I get a chance to, to talk to fellow veterans, it, it's a way for me to be able to explain, you know, becoming something versus just doing something. Uh, and uh, a lot of times at first, you're going to just do something. It's not overnight. And, you know, after, after you do it and you, you believe in it and, and you're, you're all in, it's, you actually become it. And, and it's, uh, it's one of those things that you won't notice right away, but it's, it gets to that point. And, and only those have gotten to that point of becoming lean can really understand like I, I understand what that means you know I, that's the way I look at everything now that's the way I practice everything now and and that's really one of the best connections I can make to becoming something versus doing something well that's very well said and this this notion of becoming lean reminds me of you know Jeffrey Liker's book from the late 90s before he wrote anything in the Toyota Way series there was this book that's sort of a uh, collection of case studies from different companies. And the title of that book is Becoming Lean. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's uh, when, when we had to, you know, I say had to in the Marine Corps, you had a list of required reading. And being able to, to do lean thinking, becoming lean, you know, uh, a machine to change the world, you know, all, all those books there. You, you read it and it's, you know, you're taking the information in, but it's not registering until sometime later you start to see, or I, I started to see like, oh, okay, that's what they were talking about. It's almost like you're talking to one of your kids and you just say, you'll, you'll understand when you get older. It's uh, one of those things there, but it's, it's nice to reflect and see some of those things and be able to achieve, uh, you know, a, a certain state. Yeah. Well, John, thank you. You know, first off, thank you for your service. And, um, you know, thank you for a really good conversation here today, adding to some of that conversation about Kaizen incentives. And um, we, we were able to get into so much more today. So really appreciate it. Really, really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks again. Absolutely, Mark. Appreciate you and all your work that you do. Um, thanks again for the opportunity, man. Thanks. Well, thanks again to John Chacon for being our guest today, for having a great discussion. For links and show notes and more information about how to subscribe, you can go to leanblog.org slash 429. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.